The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Wow. October, we're in fourth quarter of 2022, and today we are covering Chapter 5, Stretching the Horizon, from my book. And if you want to learn more about The Savage Path, A Memoir of Modern Masculinity, or order a copy, just visit my website at www.thesavagepath.com. I have reduced the price of both the paperback and the Kindle version while we promote the book through the series in the show. For just four ninety nine, you can download the Kindle version. That's just a couple of kolaches at the Kolache factory. <laughs> this chapter highlights my scouting experiences where I traveled beyond my hometown and out of state for high adventure and national jamboree experiences that helped me to see a wider world of both friendships and adventures. Both require a young man to get out of his comfort zone to stretch his horizon. I had a similar experience in 1991 where my scouting credentials provided another opportunity for new friendships and adventures, and my guest today was a person who extended that invitation. We have been great friends, tentmates, card-playing competitors, and ski bums together, sharing many adventures over 30 years since then. My dear friend and brother in Christ, Jim Skeppens, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. What a pleasure it is to have my lifelong mentor on the show. David, I really appreciate the invitation, and for me, this is another opportunity to expand my horizon at my advanced age. Thank you so much. Advanced age. This guy's an Iron Man, and he's got a family that lives to be 100, so I hope you have enough money to last, too. So, Jim, why don't you give a little career background and just share about like the formation of our ski group and history, you know, as well as our so our audience can get to know you a little better. Okay. Uh, I, in thinking about this, my... My effort and my uh, desire to expand my horizon started actually in the Boy Scouts. When I was uh, a scout and then I was invited to be a staff member at the council camp and my sophomore and junior years in high school, I worked at the summer camp, which was new and different for me. Uh, my dad owned a gas station and he put me to work uh, during the school year at the gas station. I call that the college incentive plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to college. I grew up, I was in college in the sixties during the moon race. So I was attracted to aerospace engineering and actually I co-opt every other semester, uh, while I was there to pay my way through school. Uh, after that, I decided I didn't want to be an aerospace engineer. So I, I took a job with Exxon, uh, another uh, totally outside my comfort zone and went to work for them. And then after, uh, nine years with Exxon, I had the opportunity to go to a company called Champlin Petroleum uh, to help them build a new chemical business. And I got to move to Houston from Chicago, and that was a real positive, too. Uh, spent 15 years with there, and that's where you and I met, and we'll talk about that. Uh, from there, uh, 
I went to, I decided with my brother-in-law to form a, a company, a new company, and boy, was that an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, le- I probably learned more uh, building a, a company than I ever did working for a company. Uh, but as part of that, I uh, I began to develop a relationship with a termaline company from Germany, and they offered me a position uh, as the vice president of sales and marketing in a very new area for me. Uh, but I ended up selling my ownership in the my business and going to work for oil tanking, and that was a fantastic experience and uh, worked for them until I retired. Awesome. You know, I had a situation like that. I went in in 1978 when I graduated from high school, and I was a nuclear engineering major, and I thought nuclear was the future. Of course, in 1979, Three Mile Island happened, and I was changing majors as well. <laughs> so, In Chapter 5, I relate a few stories about my Philmont and Jamboree experiences, which were the foundation you know, of new friendships for me. So what I'd like to do is just read a little excerpt from Chapter 5 to give our audience a little taste of it. So, let's see. Our most memorable moment came at Cypher's Mine, where we stayed in an Adirondack shelter, totally open on one side rather than in our tents. The area had been getting hit by a 600-pound female black bear they had named Lulabelle with her two cubs. We were extra vigilant in hanging our bear bags with all of our food and smellables like toothpaste and chapstick. The guidance is to hang these bags at least 10 feet off the ground and 8 feet from any tree trunk between two large trees. We did this with a large amount of food for a crew of 10. Our fire had burned down to embers, and we were all just falling asleep in the shelter when we began to hear loud cracking of branches and low bear noises. We all popped out of our sleeping bags to discover Lulabelle standing on her hind legs, pawing the bottom of the bags open and spilling all the food onto the ground. No one was going to set a single foot outside of the shelter, so we grabbed our pots and utensils and pounded on them as loud as we could while yelling at the top of our lungs to try to scare her off. She was oblivious to this tactic, and as we swept our flashlight beams around, we saw her accomplices. The two cubs were in one of the trees trying to yank the rope knots out. (laughs) These bears knew what they were doing. Some of us stepped out of the shelter far enough to whiz a few rocks at the cubs, against our leader's advice. (laughs) One hit the mark and the cub tumbled down from the tree, and the other quickly followed. Fortunately, they were not hurt and ran up the hill, but not before they and their mother had dragged most of our food up the hill with them. It was like a keystone cop skit, with boys running all around the small area of light that the embers from the fire provided, picking up tiny twigs and throwing them on the embers to provide a larger perimeter of light. This process was repeated several times until we had the fire going good and considerably more light with which to work. Our leader, Roy Armstrong, took a couple of us up the hill slightly to see what they had got off with and we might be able to retrieve. We could still hear the bears crashing around in the nearby woods and wisely decided that they could just have whatever they wanted from what was beyond our immediate reach. We would happily hike the extra miles to a backcountry commissary to resupply ourselves the next day rather than tangle with a mother bear and her two adolescent cubs. It was probably the most exhilarating moment in each of our young lives thus far. I recall how hard my heart was pounding and the feeling of adrenaline instantly waking us all up once we began hearing those noises. We found one other boy's cameras with a big tooth hole in it and a canteen with Gatorade in it had been punctured in several places by claws. Another boy had forgotten a package of hot chocolate in an outer pocket of his pack and it was ripped off with bear snot all over it. (laughs) We had survived a bear encounter 
And it was like a special forces merit badge and a superb memory of valor for all of us. This is exactly why we had come to Philmont. So, Jim, you know, as uh, I read that, I'm curious as a reader and, and as a fellow Eagle Scout, you know, what went through your mind, you know, when you read the book? Well, uh, it I related to it very quickly because as a kid in 1961, I went to Philmont. And it was a life-changing experience for me. Uh, later, as I became a parent, I, di- I realized what a sacrifice my parents made to send me to Philmont. And th- I think that, among other things, helped me be a better parent, to sacrifice for your kids. Because you're going to, as a, as a parent, you're going to give your children the opportunity to have a life-changing experience. And, and uh, so uh, th- that in, in uh, what you saw in, in what you happened with the bears is a, was a, 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 what I call a bonding experience. Right. And, and bonding experiences are very, very important in our lives. Right. Yeah. Everyone likes to have a good war story like that. So, you know, now I'm going to kind of mention the, the study guide in the back of the book. And in each chapter, I, uh, I have some scripture that I reference to frame a small group discussion if people want to use the book for that. So in chapter five, the scripture is Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. So friends are extremely important and you do have to stretch your horizons in order to meet new people to you know, leave our hometowns. I know you're from uh, Greenville, Mississippi. That's, That's correct. A pretty small town. San Angelo was about 75,000, you know, where I grew up. And, you know, to travel outside of uh, the state of Texas was a big deal for me. And then, you know, also when we went to the National Jamboree. So I have a question for you. Just uh, how many friends do you have uh, that, that you've known for more than 10 years? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I have a lot of friends that in reality are acquaintances. Mm -hmm. Uh, A friendship is a much deeper commitment with other people. Uh, I heard years ago that most people can count the true friends they have over a long period of time on their two hands, so 10 or less. And that applies to me, too. I think you – I look uh, at my life, met tons and tons of people – worked with tons and tons of people, and yet I think uh, the number of true friends I have, probably around 10. So, you know, the pandemic is a period where, unfortunately, I think a lot of us have been shedding friends, uh, and that's partly because people had different opinions about, you know, you know how communicable the disease was, uh, wearing masks, you know, vaccinations, and and then you have this polarization going on, you know, with the political environment, and then people are kind of like, eh, yeah, maybe I don't want to see that friend who has a, a different political ideology, which, which is really kind of tragic. But it also uh, emphasizes the importance that some friends are, are just for seasons. So you might be a close friend of someone when you lived in a certain town, then you moved. And uh, so you, you have to have a process of always reaching out, stretching your horizons, trying to make new friendships and build new friends um, is it easy or difficult for you to make friends, and why or why not? Uh, I've always found it's it's fair, fairly easy. I I get along with a lot of people. Uh, the uh, I think the easiest uh, pe- 
type of person to develop friendships is the optimist as opposed to the pessimist. Uh, people like to be around optimists, and I am an optimist, I think. You are. Uh, I, can, I can substantiate that. <laughs> and uh, uh, that optimistic allows you to bond and begin to connect with people. And, of course, my entire career essentially has been in sales and marketing, much like yours. And so you come across a lot of people. And what I uh, am proud of is the fact that many of my long-term customers during my uh, sales days were actually, in the business world, adversaries. Because I was a salesman, they were a purchasing agent. It was my job to make the sale at the highest price. It was their job to get the product at the lowest price. And yet out of my relationship with those people, I've created some bonding, long-term friendships in spite of that antagonism, if you will. And I I, I think that's important. It is. Well, and it's difficult, too, because, you know, as you said, I've also been in uh, sales and Procurement is there, you know, they have a bring them in and beat them up strategy. <laughs> and, but I think they have a job to do. And as, you know, a, uh, a good salesperson, you're trying to understand, you know, how they're being measured. And if you can help educate them, you know, on a value proposition that isn't just price, because if you don't educate them, that's all they have. And then you can try to build value propositions, but actually to have Lasting procurement relation? I, I don't think I have those. <laughs> they were more <laughs> adversarial, you know, for me. But, uh, you know, so give us some other examples. Like, you know, the ski group. I, I want to talk about that since that's a trip that you and I have been taking together for 35, you know, years. So how did that uh, begin? Because you were you had some motive and intention, you know, behind uh, kind of founding this little group. Yeah, we when I, when I went to work for Champlin uh, and we were building a new uh, chemical business, uh, what I discovered there was there was an antagonism between the marketing people and the manufacturing people. And so I decided to try to overcome that. And one of the ways I found that a couple of the manufacturing guys had gone skiing once or twice. Well, I had, oh, because of my sales experience and my connections, uh, I had access to a free condo up in Colorado. And so the guy that worked for me, the marketing guy that worked for me, uh, he and I contributed frequent flyer miles. We contributed. We got a free place to stay. And I invited uh, several of those manufacturing guys up. And the reason was is to to uh, create a bonding experience that overcame the antagonism. And th- that continued to grow. You were – you saw it initially from a distance, and then uh, we invited you to join us, partially for the same reason, because you were dealing with the manufacturing guys. And 35 years, 37 years later, we're still doing it, and many, some of the original people are still with us skiing. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting group. And I have to say, you know, these trips, you have the opportunity to ride like uh, maybe a 10-minute lift. And you have like these individual conversations and it really lends itself. I have learned more about the refining of petrochemical business on lift rides with these other executives than I ever did, you know, sitting around in a, in a meeting, you know, in a conference room or anything. And so I know uh, 
you know, you're kind of king of the boondoggle, you know. <laughs> so, but help help justify that to people who don't understand how that relationship building is so key to business as well. It yeah. can really make your your professional life much more successful. Yeah, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that a key to lasting friendships is a bonding experience or several bonding, and some of it can be. Uh, signing a new major contract. Uh, but if you look at the our history and the people around us, the the strongest bonds are people that that had uh, memorable experiences together. Uh, Marines, for instance, are, are a tremendous bonding group. Those people are uh, friends for life. Fraternities at colleges create uh, long-term friendships. Uh, my son was a uh, uh, was in a fraternity. He wanted to join it. I wasn't a big fraternity fan, but his friendships that he developed at that fraternity uh, have stayed with him, and he still uh, does things with those guys. Uh, but sports is another one. My younger son played college football. He still is in contact twenty something years later with his uh, teammates. Uh, because that was a bonding and a common experience. Uh, w- one of the things that I th- I think that creates the bonding experience is doing something in action. Sitting at a baseball game or a football game is not a bonding experience. Right. That's a spectator sport. But doing things, backpacking, skiing, uh, things like that, hunting, uh, and those have been just tremendously influential to me. Yeah, I think – you know that's why this chapter is called stretching your horizons is that you have to do things you know that uh that you haven't done before and and this whole term like bucket list now you know that's a really big deal and i was looking through some of our pictures and folks jim is he's actually heavily mentioned in the book uh he's been a mentor and you know a great friend of me he's about 14 years old or so uh, just wise and he reads voraciously and so he uh invited me on this backpacking trip you know which is how i got to know him and we had a pretty significant bonding experience that very first year and the second year <laughs> yeah. just just share a little bit about like yeah. year one yeah the first the first year uh the new plant manager at corpus christi and i uh i was trying to get him to go skiing with us and he wasn't interested but he liked elk hunting and so we compromised and said let's go backpacking because he liked the mountains and i liked the mountains well uh David found out about it and expressed interest. And so David and I had breakfast one day down in Corpus and met. And uh, I found out about his Philmont experience and all that. And I said, heck, yeah, let's let's do it. And we got a fourth that uh, that came in that first year. We got lost at 12,000 feet (laughs) in Colorado and the plant manager got pretty seriously ill with altitude sickness to the point that David and I had to leave Adolph and Joe, and we had to hike 18 miles out to a trailhead where we could get help for him. And uh, so the EMT that came up and put some oxygen on him said that, uh, yeah, he was pretty serious. The next stage was death. (laughs) Yeah, he was close to stroke levels with it blood pressure and you know so jim and i you know we're having to adapt i mean he's almost getting hypothermia because it started snowing or raining and sleeting on us and you know we, we were lost i kind of figured out where we were 
And then Jim said, hey, there's this five-star dude ranch I was reading about in my American Express book. And so we'll we'll leave all of our food and everything, and then we'll hike down to the uh, – it's this narrow-gauge railroad between Silverton and Durango, and we'll go to that dude ranch. And so this whole 18 miles, we're hiking in the rain and everything, and you know I'm just kind of imagining this great burger and a shower and – we get to that railroad track, and Jim had lied to me. I don't know if he did it. He walked a mile up. I walked a mile down. There was no dude ranch there, folks. And then on top of that, when we couldn't find the dude ranch, we had to pitch our tent in the driving rainstorm, and we had left all of our food back so we could lighten our packs up. So it was miserable. It was a bonding experience. It was you know, that. And we still enjoy uh, talking about that. So what do you uh, attribute, you know, your own wealth of friendships to, Jim? Because I, I do know that, you know, a lot of people, maybe you don't have as many close friends, but I see you as having many friends. Yeah, well, I, I do. I think uh, some friendships are much more lasting than others. And, uh, and, and there are certain people you get, you, you simply you have a connection with. Mm-hmm. But uh, one, two of the things that, uh, that I think are important, in addition to the bonding experience, uh, are the the opportunity to serve others. Yeah. Scouting is all about that, and church is all about that. And I think the other thing that is cements friendships are values. Mm-hmm. You you can't be a close friend to someone that does not share your values. That's true. Yeah. And uh, and and I think that's. That that's where I gravitate to. I'm a Christian like you are, and I I've been a long term teacher at at our church, uh, and I've established a lot of friendships. But again, the, our values are the same. My scouting, my adult scouting experience. I was committee chairman for ten years with a scout troop, and lots of friendships there. But we had the same values, and so I think that's really critical. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that for sure. So so any final thoughts or suggestions to young men out there listening to this program or people that are kind of gotten a little bit in a rut and they're they're considering their bucket list items? Well, I, I think back to the uh, expanding your horizons, the more people you cross paths with, the bi- bigger the opportunity is to create those friendships. Uh, but for one of the things, I guess these are the things. One is be an optimist. Don't be mm-hmm. a pessimist. And develop a sense of humor. Uh, don't take everything so seriously. Uh, and then look for bonding experiences with people. Uh, seek those. Lead them. Create them. Those are very good. And then look to serve. Serve others is always going to be a, a positive bonding experience. And then... Uh, look for people with shared values. Uh, if, you, if your shared value is church-related, you're not going to find it in a bar. So do that. And then finally, stay out of politics. <laughs> now, I haven't listened to you much on that. But, but Jim, you have been one of my dearest and closest friends. You're definitely in the, the five on one hand for sure. Maybe my best friend, just if I really try to uh, measure it. And I've learned so much from you, and you've been a great mentor to me, and I just want to thank you again here, you know, on the radio for that. Uh, In closing, I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Prism Specialties. They're in the restoration business, which makes them perfect sponsors for our mission. Call them to restore your electronics, fabrics, artwork, or even documents. And once again, visit the website, www.thesavagepath.com, to learn more. And I'll just close real quickly in a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for friends and uh, for friends that are just through seasons of our life and friends that we've known our entire lives. And I know Jim has some that he even went to school with in Greenville, Mississippi, that he's still in touch with, you know, some uh, 70 years. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and for him being our very best friend and the one who gave his life for us. And so we just ask that you would uh, show people that they need him and that he's there for us. And we just uh, appreciate the opportunity to stretch our horizons in church where we can serve together as well. In Christ's name, amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man. With David Savage, we believe the winners in this ring. Courageously follow God's word. Love and protect God's woman. Excel at God's work. Batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.